Father, thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the Holy Spirit in our midst. Lord, speak to us this morning as we look into the Word, as we study the Scriptures, and as we see what it is that you're saying to us today. I believe, not because of my preaching, but I believe because of your Word, Father, that you'll speak to every person here, that you'll minister to every person here, no matter where they are, in this journey of life, that you'll speak and minister to every person. That's the Holy Spirit that lives within me, the Holy Spirit that is here today. So I give you free reign and free course to say what you want, Father. I belong to you. I belong to you, and I thank you for speaking today, administering life today, as we lift up the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. Well, if we have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3, and uh, we're going to get into this, and, and I believe it's going to be an exciting uh, message for you, because it's not a sermon that you can hear, but it's a, it's a reality that you can live every single day. Amen? A reality that you're able to live, and I'm able to live every single day. Last Sunday, uh, we discussed in depth about our identity is not found in or built in anything that we have, anything that we were born into, anything that we possess. It's not built in how we look. It's not built in what we have, our job, our education, or our pedigree, but our identity is found in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And if our identity is found in anything else that's natural that can be lost, then we're in trouble because things are going to change. That's the nature of life. Amen? It's the nature of life that things are going to change. And so we have to have our identity in Jesus Christ and in his word and what he says about us. And so I want to continue. We talked about how precious humanity is and how precious we are individually to God, that we were purchased by God with something that was more valuable than gold or with silver. We were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ himself. Amen? I mean, that's some good news right there. That's the gospel truth of our redemption. And this morning, I want to talk just for a little bit about how we have to continually, continually on purpose, purposefully, steer away from having our identity and our failures and our mistakes. Because if we don't, then the enemy will beat us up and the enemy will, will drive us to just be unfruitful and non-productive. But the Bible tells me that God wants us fruitful and he wants us producing for his kingdom. Amen? And so I want to encourage you as we get into these scriptures to find yourself wherever you may find yourself and realize, hey, I might have made a mistake yesterday. I might have made a mistake this morning. I might have sinned against God this morning in my attitude. Or I might have sinned against God in this or that or the other. I might have made a mistake or I might have had this or did that or gone here or didn't do this. Let that thing get out of your life because the blood of Jesus Christ is available to you. And press into what God has for us. Do you find Philippians chapter 3 yet? Verse 12, it says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Boy, that's some good preaching, isn't it? The Apostle Paul is just tearing it up already. Amen? Then he says... Brethren, 13, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Everybody say one thing. One thing I do, forgetting 
those things which are behind. Forgetting those things which are behind. Now I want you to see this scripture because if we're not careful, we'll think that this is two different movements. But what the Apostle Paul is telling us is this is one movement, this is one decision, and this decision, this attitude of the heart, brings about or effects a change. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, he says then, continuing in the 13th verse, I reach forward to those things which are ahead. It's not forget those things, wait a season, and then reach forward. What the Bible is saying to us this morning is that when we forget those things which are behind, we are automatically reaching out. We're letting go, and when we let go, we're reaching out to what God has for us. Amen? But one thing... I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When I make up that mind, that one motion, that causes me to press toward the goal, press toward the goal, press toward the goal, press toward the goal. I continually am chasing after this. I'm pressing into it. In the New Century Version 13, says, But there is one thing I always do, forgetting the past and straining forward for what is ahead. One thing I always do, forgetting the past and straining forward. Now this morning, you may be here and you say, You know, I set up myself last year. I wanted to go to every single church service that the church had. And I failed. I wanted to tithe every single time I was in the house of God, present God and honor God with the tithe, and I failed. I wanted to give consistently myself to studying the Word of God on a daily basis, or give consistently myself to prayer on a daily basis. And you think, man, I did real good for about 11 days, and then pff, the whole year went downhill. And if we're not careful, that thing can absolutely tear you down and cause you not to reach on to something else this year. Look at your neighbor and tell him, tell your neighbor, he's already preaching good. You might as well get this right. He's already preaching good. Because it'll hinder you. It's, it's seriously, if, if we're not careful, we'll become hindered by our, fast, our past failures and mistakes. And how many of us have ever heard, I don't know if you've ever experienced, but how many of you ever heard this reality that the devil tries to come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so he comes with lies, and he comes with accusations, and he comes with guilt. And listen, that's the devil's trash, so you can pack it up and send him down the road with it. You don't have to hold on to guilt. You don't have to hold on to shame. You don't have to hold on to that. Why? Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews that the blood of Jesus Christ washes us from guilt and washes us from shame. Just pack that stuff up just nice and pretty and say, just go on down the road, Mr. Devil. I'm not going to mess around with you this year. I'm not going to mess around with you today. I'm going to press in. This thing I'm going to do, I'm going to forget what's behind. I'm going to reach forward. I'm going to press toward the goal. Amen? Praise the Lord. Our identity should not be in our past failures, and it should not be in our past mistakes. Let's turn to Luke chapter 5, and as you're turning there, I want to just encourage you to listen to a few statements here concerning what we're talking about. Uh, we all need the Lord's help, so we don't identify with our past. We do. If we identify with our past, 
then our past, listen, then our past is going to direct our future. If we identify or we find our value or our worth or what we're capable of doing completely based with our past failures and mistakes, then you're allowing the past to steer your future and rob from you. And that's foolish. Amen? Amen. It is possible for us to break free, isn't it? Is it possible for us to break free from the identity of who we were and what we did? It's possible, right, for us to break free from that past that tries to rule and reign over us of what we were or what we did or what we used to do. And it's absolutely important that we understand that it's the grace of God that frees us. Amen? As we look in the New Testament, we're going to look at Luke chapter 5 here in just a moment. We're going to examine a couple of people uh, that absolutely overcame their past, their failures, and their sin, and were used by God and made a decision to press into what God had for them and letting go of their past, they became two of the greatest men of God that we can see in the New Testament besides Jesus Christ himself. And so this morning, you may not be in the same situation, but I believe that we can all find ourselves as we look in these scriptures and as we look into these passages and see what these two men had in common listen to this is that they didn't live in their past they didn't let their past define them and they didn't let their mistakes control their future outcome this is exactly what we need in the body of christ today this truly is exactly what we need in the body of christ today we need men and women of god who acknowledge hey man i've made mistakes <laughs> i've made mistakes I told you this before, and because we're in church, I'll just be honest with you. I'm not perfect. And I look myself in the mirror regularly and I say, don't be an idiot today. Don't screw up today. Make it through the day without saying something stupid, having the wrong attitude. Here, what we need in the body of Christ today is men and women of God who admit and they acknowledge, hey man, I've made mistakes. I'm not perfect. I understand that. But we're going to rise above our past failures. We're going to rise above our past mistakes, and we're going to press in to what God has for us. Amen. And so the question for, for you today, the question for me today is, will we let go of our past failures and shortcomings? See, it's a sermon that preaches real good. But this afternoon, when you go to reflecting, or maybe you do something today, and you just act like an idiot, and you should have looked yourself in the mirror, but you didn't. Will you repent? Will you confess to God, I blew it. I had the wrong heart, the wrong attitude. I tried to manipulate her. I tried to control her. I, I, I didn't like what pastor was wearing and I didn't listen. Anyway. Will we let go of our past failures? Will we let go of our past mistakes? Will we be daring enough to press in? To what God has planned for us today. And listen, this can get real cliche and be like 2016 because it's our first service, but will you re reach out to what God has for you today? Because let me tell you something. Until you conquer today, you're not going to be able to conquer the year. If you don't conquer today, you're not going to be able to conquer the year. We've got to conquer today. I'm going to let go of yesterday. You know, <laughs> hmm. I was watching a football game on New Year's Day. And I saw this other team that 
I forgot they were even in Michigan. They've been so irrelevant lately. And, uh, <laughs> and I watched U of M win. Handedly. And I was upset about it. And I thought, I hate Kent Burrell's guts. <laughs> go blue, he says. Go out. Get. Go. I said, I said I'm going to call Kent and just tell him that it's fine. Little brother wins every once in a while. But I decided to conquer the day. I decided to rise above the flesh moment. And not go on toilet paper Kent's house with green and white toilet paper. <laughs> But you know, you know, we're not we're not going to be able to rise above the day, and get into what God has for us for the whole entire year until we can win little battles throughout the day and throughout the week. See, you may think that's a silly analogy, but what I just told you is absolutely true. I wanted to call Kent and tell him I disliked him and his team greatly, but I seized the moment. I won that little victory. I won that little battle. Luke chapter 5. Anybody find Luke 5? Luke chapter 5 verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Here's a preacher trying to tell a fisherman how to do his job. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, that, that'll preach, but not today, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Seven. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. How many of that's fishing? How many of you are talking about a little canoe that you get in the Shiawassee River with? We're talking about professional fishing equipment. Professional. Not your grandfather, great-great-grandfather's little cane-reeded pole and a little net that began to break. We're talking about professional fishing equipment that the catch of fish was so great, the nets began to break. We know they took care of their stuff because they were just washing them. Are you here? And these professional fishing boats, the fish was so great that they both began to sink because of the great catch of fish. Now, to a fisherman, that's a miracle. To a fisherman, that's a miracle. To you and I, that's a miracle, and it would be hard for us to fathom, but for Peter, who had labored and toiled all night, and then to just go back out and catch so many that the boats are starting to sink, this is a miracle. And I love Peter's response. Eight. Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. 
And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Hey, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Peter and his partners took in this miraculous catch of fish. The Bible says that when Peter saw the miracle, he fell down and said, Get, get, get away from my presence. It wasn't that he was so angry that Jesus was there. It wasn't that he detested him. It wasn't anything other than the fact that he realized in the presence of this magnificent holiness, Peter was undone and he was a sinner. And he said, you'll, you'll have to excuse me. You need to leave my presence. I'm, I'm a sinner. And Jesus made the response to him. Peter emphasizes, I'm a sinner. Emphasizing his past failure. Emphasizing his past mistake. Jesus declares to him, I've got a future for you, Peter. See, as soon as we let go of our past failures and mistakes, then we can lay hold of what Christ Jesus has also laid hold of us. And when we'll get out of our own way, then Jesus, I believe this with all of my heart, that Jesus will stand there and say, I have a future for you. I have a plan for you. I have a job for you. Amen? He declared to him his future and gave him a purpose beyond catching fish. And so many times in our life, we've seen people associated with their past failures. We've done it. We've been, we, we are guilty of doing it to other people. Out and around town, oh, that's so-and-so. He used to do such and such. Haven't we? Oh, that's so-and-so, they got in trouble for doing that. They're just this, or they're just that, or we don't trust them, or this, that, or the other. Got awful quiet in this Holy Ghost church today. My brother and my sister, it is so important that we say over ourselves what Jesus Christ has said over us. Tweet that. Put that on Facebook. It's so... <laughs> What's trending now? It's so important that we say about ourselves, that we say over ourselves what Jesus has declared about us. Peter could have been stuck the rest of his entire life. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. I just make mistakes. I'm a sinful man. I'm unholy. I'm unworthy. He, the Bible tells us very plainly that Peter walked with Jesus, and we don't ever see, other than him crossing the sea when Jesus went to pray, we don't ever see Peter and Jesus separated. Peter became one of the inner circle of people that was with him. Peter, James, and John. Isn't it ironic that they were all working together anyway? But Peter, James, and John became the three inner circle uh, disciples that went with him when everybody else was put out. That pressed down a little bit further when he went to pray. That went with him on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was really revealed to them. And here Peter had to get over his past failure. The Bible doesn't even tell us what it was. Maybe he was unethical in his business. Speculation, who knows? Nevertheless, Peter knew, I'm, I'm sinful. So for us to be able to get close to the Lord and spend intimate, personal time, oh, I'm preaching better already than your amen. And I, I know what I'm going to say. I know how good it is. And I know you're just going to go, amen. In order for us to get into an intimate, 
personal relationship with Jesus, we have to know that he has declared we are righteous. We have to know that he has declared that we are guilt-free. There is no shame. There is no guilt. There is no condemnation. We don't have to live in our past failures, our past experiences. So what? You didn't come to church every Sunday in 2015. Don't let that steer your vessel in 2016. So what that you didn't win as many people to the Lord as you wanted to? Don't let it silence your mouth and stop you from sharing the gospel. So what that you prayed for the sick and maybe one time it didn't happen? Think about all the times that it did happen and press into the reality that believers shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So what? That you tithed or you gave and you didn't see it the way that you wanted it. Just press into what God has for you. Don't let your disobedience of being led by the Holy Spirit, don't let your inability to be able to fulfill the heavy task you put on yourself dominate you today or dominate you tomorrow. Press into what God has for you. Stop putting unrealistic expectations on yourself. I'll tell you what guilty people do. Guilty people put unrealistic expectations on themselves because they're so guilty and so ashamed of what they used to do. Don't sit there and tell me that you haven't experienced that in your own life. So you overcorrect and overcompensate because you're still, there's this element of guilt. There's this element of shame. Jesus has washed that from my life. He's washed that away. If you failed, you're in your older years and you failed at raising your kids, get over it. Let it go. It doesn't mean you'll fail at raising your grandkids. If you're in your older years and you tried a business and it failed, get over it. Maybe he wants you to start a different business. Are you here this morning? Don't, don't, don't get into a situation or get into a place where you, you are overreigned and overruled and overdominated by the shame of anything you've done or said because what will happen is you'll be in the presence of Jesus and you'll say, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm sinful. I'm a sinner. There's so much shame on me. There's so much guilt on me. I've failed. I've failed my family. I've failed my friends. I've failed God. I've failed. I've failed. I've failed. I've failed. How are you going to produce anything in God's presence? How are you going to produce anything for God with that mentality or that guilt? Our identification is in the reality that Jesus Christ has come into this world to save sinners. I once was lost. I am not lost anymore. Now I am found. I used to be a sinner. Now he calls me a saint. He calls me his own. He calls me his son or his daughter. Amen. Man, that's good preaching, Pastor Brian. We cannot get into that, fall into that trap. We can't fall into that trap ourselves where we look at people and say, oh, we know their past. Well, that's so-and-so, he used to be a drunk, or that's so-and-so, he used to be a drug addict, or that's so-and-so, they used to do this, or they used to do that. Man, that person's dead and gone. I said, that person is dead and gone. And the person that stands before you is not even a fraction or a fragment, a bit or a piece or a portion 
of who that person used to be because the old man has gone, the new man has come. Amen? The enemy is constantly trying to convince us to say over ourselves things that contradict what Jesus has said about us. Constantly. The spirit of religion is relentless in trying to control our mind and control our thinking and it spews in some form or fashion about how we're unholy and we're unworthy and we fall short and we're just sinners. That's trash. It's not the Bible. It's man's opinion. It's empty religion and it's trash. For someone to sit there and hold on to the mentality, well, I'm just a sinner who's been saved by grace. The truth is, you used to be a sinner that has been saved by grace. You are no longer a sinner, hopeless, cursed, and damned. You are a saint. You are a child of God. You're the righteousness of God in Christ, and you're working on not sinning. The spirit of religion is spewing out well, I'm unholy, and I'm unworthy, and I'm unloved, and I'm unlovable, and I'm just a sinner, and I'm just a failure, and I'm just this, and I can't approach God. Well, the blood of Jesus Christ has made it possible for you to come and stand in that blood and say, I was guilty, I was uh, disobedient, I was unruly and unlawful, but you accepted me anyway. I am the picture of your grace at work in humanity. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. You could go to church after church after church, unfortunately, where you'd hear that some form or fashion of that. Well, you know, we're all just sinners, saved by grace, bless God. Well, we used to be sinners. There was a change. We used to be sinners, but we're not any longer. We're the redeemed of the Lord. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. We've been bought after incorruptible seed, not something that is perishing with the use like gold or with silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Why? So he could make us a child of God, a saint. You say, and I've heard this before, the Bible boldly, boldly declares that we're no longer sinners, but we're the righteousness of God in Christ. And we've all heard people say this, and maybe we've said it ourselves. Well, you know, I'm no saint. No one's ever heard that before? See, there's this saying where people who aren't perfect say, well, I'm no saint. It's just someone else who they know is not perfect. But see, for the Christian, for the born-again person, it's not technically true. Let me show you. Don't, don't get mad. Who are the epistles in our Bible written to? They're written to Christians, Right? Right? The church. They're written to Christians. The first epistle, Romans, begins with to the saints in Rome. The second epistle, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, to the saints in Corinth. The second epistle to the church at Corinth, to the saints in Corinth and in Achaia. The who? Oh, not the sinners. To the what? Well, I'm no saint. Well, then you're not born again? You either are or you aren't. Which one are you? We'll just keep reading because the Bible's fun. In Galatians, it says, To the church in Galatia. 
in Ephesians, it says, to the saints in Ephesus and faithful. Did you know that you can be a saint in the house of God, but yet not be faithful in the house of God? So Ephesians is written to the saints who are faithful. Well, I'm no saint. Well, you either are or you're not. You can grab onto that religious mentality that says that I'm a sinner, that I'm unholy, that I'm unworthy, or you can grab a hold of what Jesus has said that you are and died to make you become, or you can grab a hold of what Jesus declared that you are and died so that he could make you become a saint, a child of God. A son or a daughter. Oh, oh, wait, it even gets better. An heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't the Bible read differently if it says, to the sinners who are in Rome? To the unholy who are in Corinth. To the unworthy. To the loser. To the no good. To those who fall short in Ephesus. Starts out different, doesn't it? How many are you glad that the Bible starts out saying to the saints who are in Rome? And to the saints who are in Corinth twice. And to Chaei. And to the saints in Ephesus. And to the saints in Philippi. And to the saints in Faithful and Colossae. And greet all the saints to the Hebrew church. Every single letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to an individual, he talks about specific people, and he calls them faithful. He calls them brothers. He calls them fellow soldiers and fellow laborers. What, what Nick said, having no idea what I was going to preach today, was absolutely the Holy Ghost moving in the entire service, bringing this thing together to encourage us to grab a hold of what God is saying about us, grab a hold of what God has done for us, and who we are in Christ. I thank God my Bible doesn't start out saying to the no good, dirty, filthy, failed losers in Owasso. But if God, by the Holy Ghost, was going to write an epistle through the apostle whomever to this church, he would say to the saints who are in Owasso. So which one are you this morning? Well, that's rhetorical. I already know the answer to that question. That's an introspection. Turn it in now on yourself. Am I saying about myself what God has said that I am? Or am I living under shame and guilt and condemnation and the heavy weight of opposition that the devil has said that I am? Is everything really my fault? Have I really done all of this stuff that I've failed? And because of my failure, because of my shortcoming, or because of my mistake, which cause and effect, I mean, sometimes we get unrealistic in our dealings with ourselves. Can your shortcomings really affect and reach that far? Or is it just that we're living in a broken world with a devil who hates our guts but has been defeated and we have to stand on the word of God and what he has made us and take authority over him? Yes. So which one are we? Are we worthless? Some of us have been told our whole lives that we're worthless and that we're no good and we're dumb. 
what's stupid? You don't have to listen. Just like I said at the very beginning, just put all that trash in a box and say, I know where this came from. Return to sender. I just, I don't need it, don't want it, not going to listen to it, not going to think about it, not going to call myself that. Are you here? Am I doing okay? Peter is able to overcome his past. Not feel completely unholy and unworthy in the presence of the Lord. And forsake the great catch of fish and follow after Jesus. Something happened to Peter when he was on his knees before the Lord. Something happened to Peter when he let go of his failure in his past. And Jesus said, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. Something must have happened because Peter immediately, the Bible tells us, got up, left his boat, left his fish, left the nets, even left his partners. And he followed after Jesus. There was a transition in his heart. I don't need it to be recorded. I can see it in what is written. It's right there before us in our Bible. Something happened. Something happened. Amen? Look at this, Luke chapter 22. I don't think I'm going to get into the Apostle Paul, but boy, maybe I'll preach that on Wednesday. Go to Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> for those of you who won't be here with us on Wednesday night, the Lord will forgive you. No, um, for those of you who won't be here with us on Wednesday night, I want you to consider the life of Saul. I want you to consider some of the things that Paul wrote to the churches. The Bible says, read, read. If you have homework for those of you who won't be here on Wednesday. And I'm going to let the cat out of the bag a little bit for those of you who are. Unless the Holy Ghost tells me to do something else, we'll probably finish this. But read in the Amplified Version if you can get one. Read Acts chapter 8. Read Acts chapter 9, how it, how it describes Saul. You know, Saul went into people's houses and dragged them out of their house and threw them into prison and stood there in this absolute spirit of religion and gave them scriptures why he was right in the sight of God and why they were wrong. Went into their houses. Dragged them out of their house. Threw them into prison. Don't you think... When the Apostle Paul came into Iconian or Leicester or Derby, or when he came into Corinth or when he came into Thessalonica, I'm getting emotional because I can, I can imagine the Apostle Paul hearing the screams and the cries and the wails and the torments of people being ripped from their families and thrown into prison. This is where it becomes real. I can imagine Paul being in the dungeon in Philippi and smelling the smells of Stephen being martyred. Hearing the thoughts and hearing the words and all that has taken place when they're taking stones and stoning Stephen to death, literally crushing his body. And yet he had to make a decision forgetting those things which are behind. 
don't, don't think for a moment that there was something supernatural. And what I mean by that is unhuman about these men. They were men who had feelings and had emotions and had fears just like you and I do. And they had to overcome that stupid lie from the enemy that says, well, you're unholy. How can you go and preach to someone that they should be saved? Thank you. How can you go and minister to someone that they should be saved when you yourself were ripping people from their homes and throwing them into prison, hoping that they would be tormented? If they can overcome the lie of the enemy by the person of the Holy Spirit in their life, then you and I can overcome the lie of the enemy by the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have the same Holy Spirit, we have the same grace, we have the same Jesus, and we have the same blood. Amen. Come on, amen? amen? Whatever you've been through, whatever you've experienced, whatever I've experienced, we can overcome all of that trash by the grace of Almighty God being applied to our lives. He's preaching real good now. Don't think for a moment that there was something otherworldly that for some reason the Apostle Paul wouldn't have had to have dealt. You know, in fact, I have the microphone on. I'm going to go a few more minutes just because it's fun. Luke chapter 22. I'm going to wrap up with Peter and then I want to get into this for a moment. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. How many okay if I preach a few more minutes? Are you getting anything out of this today? Is that helping anybody? Luke chapter 22, verse 31. We'll go quickly. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, that the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you even know who I am. Turn to the 39th verse. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them. He was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, it is your, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. I don't have time to get into that this morning. I'm trying to be conscious of your time. 46. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude. And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, Peter, one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Do you think his ear fell to the ground and the guy didn't make a noise? 
But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. Then he says, Having arrested him, they laid him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. And, and he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about an hour, he passed another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, <laughs> while he was still speaking, words are still coming out of his mouth, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned, listen to this, the reason I read this in Luke is because of this statement. The other Gospels tell us it was Peter who cut off his ear, but this is the Gospel that tells us, and the Lord turned, the Lord turned, the Lord turned, think about that, and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. The epitome of failure. The absolute epitome of failure. A half a day ago, he said, man, I am going to go with you, and I am ready to go to prison with you, and I am ready to die with you. And he said, now, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. He said, I'm not going to deny you. And while he was still speaking that third denial, the rooster crowed. And the Lord looked at him. See, Peter left. Peter said, I'm going back to fish. He wasn't depressed. He didn't crack a beer and go drown a worm. He went back to fishing as an occupation. This is my job. He didn't go get him a country song and take his hound dog with him and go fishing for a while, while to get over his sorrow. He said, I'm done. I, I'm, I'm, I'm through. I imagine when Peter stood on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Spirit of the living God, if he wondered. <laughs> I imagine he heard the thoughts or heard himself even saying, Woman, I don't know him. But yet he overcame. You can sit there and say, well, you know, that's speculation. We don't know what he thought. Well, yeah, but you can put yourself in those shoes, and you know what you would think. And I can put myself in those shoes, and I know what I would think. I would hear the man crying out, dude, you just cut off my ear. I would hear myself saying, Jesus, I'm going to go with you to prison, and I'll go to death with you. I'm not going to ever leave you. Oh, snap. And how about the image, because we're visual creatures. How about the image? of Jesus as he's going out, looking back, and just staring you right in the eye. I'm telling you, church, we have the same ability 
to overcome this trash that he did. The same anointing, the same... Well, you know, Peter was an apostle of the Lamb, and he was to establish the first church. And Yeah, but you're a son of God, an apostle of God. You're called of God, anointed of God, equipped of God, and you're to establish the church of 2016. Stop thinking that these guys were something famous and fantastic and wonderful. They were men and women with like passions and like desires. And they were men and women who have the same opportunities to fail as they did to succeed, as you and I do to fail and as you and I do to succeed. What will you do with the ability that's on the inside of you? What will you do? I mean, all the conversation about grace, what are you going to do with grace? What will you do with grace? What will you do with what's been given to you? Will you hold on to the garbage and, and wear it around like a cloak and let everybody say, oh, that's so-and-so who used to be, or that's so-and-so who used to do, or, oh, I remember that guy, they did this, or, oh, you remember that lady, she used to do this, and she, if I remember right, you Are you just going to say, hey, everybody, <laughs> the person you used to know is dead and gone. Hey, I'm all brand new. I don't even know who you are, and, and I'm, I'm not going to know you after the flesh, Paul said. From this time forever, let us know every man after the Spirit and no longer after the flesh. Boy, he's preaching good. But the 62nd verse, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. John chapter 21. Jesus gave Peter a commission. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Tend the sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed the sheep. Jesus is speaking to him and saying, man, I got something for you to do. I've got a gift for you. I mean, he's absolutely instrumental in establishing this move of God, the church of Jesus Christ, going in and ministering to the Gentiles as well as Paul. He stood in Cornelius' house and watched him get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. And he came back to Jerusalem and they called him to the, to the carpet, as it were, and said, what in the world were you doing in a Gentile's house? What in the world were you doing hanging out with those Gentiles? And Peter's response is, boys, all I know is the Holy Ghost fell on them just like he did on us at the beginning. Amen. Amen. Peter was a flawed man. Peter was a flawed human. Are there any flawed humans in here this morning? Get your hands up. It's a stick up. Everybody put your hand up. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're not going to get into the Apostle Paul too much. I just I want to say a couple of things about this. Actually, I lied. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. How many are you glad you came to church today? How many are you glad you can forget your past? How many know that you can press in to what God has for you? Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all, they all who, all the apostles. He says, Not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. He said, His grace was not in vain to me, and I labored more than every single one of those apostles. I was the one persecuting the church, and yet it was I who ministered and moved and, and brought more to the kingdom than any of the other apostles 
born out of time, persecuting the church because the grace of God labored in me more than anyone else. The grace of God. It's not in vain to us. Amen? The grace of God is, is made a, a available to you and to me. The, the, the blood of Jesus Christ has redeemed us. And the grace of God is toward us and for us. And I want to encourage you today. Don't set out an unrealistic expectation or goal for yourself this year. But man, if you fail tomorrow at your Bible reading plan, just pick it up on Tuesday. If you fall off the bandwagon of sorts with your witnessing to somebody every day. I mean, D.L. Moody made a pact with the Lord. I will win one person to you every single day of my life from this day forward. And as far as we know, he did it. You know why everybody knows D.L. Moody's name? Because he's probably the only guy that ever did that. That's an unrealistic goal for every single person in the body of Christ to say, I'm going to win a soul every single day for the rest of my life. I imagine one of us is going to miss a day. So are we thrown out of God's family and thrown out of God's kingdom and unholy and unworthy? And see, I told Pastor I was a sinner. He didn't listen to me. He came right after me in the message. But see, I was right. He was wrong. No, we're flawed. You didn't tithe every Sunday last week? Well, just repent and then tithe last year. Then tithe every Sunday this year. What's the big deal? You didn't read your Bible every day? So then just say, you know what? I'm not going to live by last year's failure. I'm going to read my Bible this year. I'm going to come to church this year. I'm going to witness to people this year. I'm going to pray for people this year. I'm not going to let any of my experiences control what I'm supposed to do. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the cross. We thank you, Father God, for this year being a year that you have in your hand. You have a plan and you have a purpose for us this year. And we're going to realize that because the potential that we have is unlimited if we'll renew our mind. The ability that we have really is unfettered. It's unchained. Because we realize that we're the righteousness of God in Christ. Lord, I thank you for speaking to hearts here today, helping us not be bowed down and controlled by whatever it is that we've done or however we've failed. I'm going to give a call to action here this morning, church. No one's looking. This is, just, this is just you and God. The worship team's not going to look. They're going to look down and play their instruments. Here's a call to action. If anything that was said this morning hits you and ministers to you, and you've been dealing with that, but you'd say this morning, you know what, Pastor Brian, thank you for preaching that message. I'm going to reach on. I'm going to press in. I'm going to go further. I'm not going to let my failures dictate to me my future. If that's you, just slip a hand in there real quick. Thanks. Just put it down. Just up and down. Just up and down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, then I feel like we'd be in line for us to pray. Father, we fall on your grace and fall on your mercy. We absolutely come before you 
We make our approach to your throne in Jesus' name. And we lay ourselves before you and absolutely fall on your grace and your mercy. And we thank you, Father God, that we can confess to you we may have lived in fear, but we're not going to live in fear anymore. We may have lived in torment and, and under the cloud of discouragement and depression because of our failures or our mistakes. But, Father, we're not going to live under that cloud anymore. I thank you, Father God, that you're bringing us out of the tent and having us look up at the stars and see the infinite opportunities that we have. That our days are going to be filled, Father, with your peace. Our days will be filled, filled with your love. That we're not going to beat ourselves up and we're not going to let anybody else beat ourselves up. Friends, family, foe, or the devil himself. We're not going to let people beat us up and put guilt and shame and condemnation on us. We're going to thank you for convicting us when we get off. The Spirit of God will convict us. But we're not going to live under the cloud of condemnation and guilt and shame. We refuse to allow the enemy. Come on, church. I'm praying for you and for me. We refuse, Father, in Jesus' name, to allow our tomorrows to be stolen by our yesterdays. We refuse to allow our tomorrows to be arrested and stolen because of our yesterdays. We're going to take each day as what it is, a gift from you, we're going to master today. And I believe, Father, in Jesus' name, we're going to have measurable, sustainable change in our life. Measurable, sustainable growth. Measurable, sustainable fruit. We're not going to be unfruitful, but we will be fruitful. Not fruity, but fruitful. But there'll be proof in the pudding of what you've done. But we move first. We move first, we move first, we move first. And we confess to you, we're not going to do this, so help us, God. We're not going to do this. We're not going to live under guilt and shame and condemnation and oppression, so help us, God. We're going to arrest those thoughts, pull down strongholds. And we thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.